everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves Smallville Retro Reviews. This week on ATA's Smallville Retro Reviews, we are reviewing the two Brian Q. Miller episodes of our pick. And those episodes are Season 8's Committed and Bulletproof. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I am your host, Michael J. Petty. What's my name again? Oh yeah, it's Ruiz Kim. What's up, the podcast world? <laughs> yes. I can't believe you forgot your name. That's terrible. Yeah. What is going on? No, I was not about to see Blink-182 for those of you who are keeping track. That would have been scary. Yeah. So, committed and... Bulletproof. Before we get into the episode, sir, I, w- I would like to relay some news that I gave to you earlier today. For those of the listeners out there on your Android, Blackberry, iPods, and Zooms that are gamers, the DC Universe online game for PlayStation 3 and PC, it used to be a subscription fee. You'd have to pay after you bought the initial game. That was $19 a month. Now it's free. So, yay, for DC Exactly. I know, I want it so bad, but as I told you, I don't have the right video card or whatever on the computer, so I need to get that fixed, and then I'll download it. Yeah, I mean, it's not like your World of Warcraft kind of games, it's really like you living out a live-action comic book, which is really cool. That is very cool. And of course, you have the great Jim Lee and Jim Johns running the thing, which, how can you go wrong with that? Well, I mean, between that, the Justice League comic, and future products, I can't wait. Here's hoping DC can come up to the level of Marvel in terms of entertainment. Well, see, and here's where I disagree with a lot of people. Most people are like, Marvel has better entertainment than DC does. And I don't believe that's true. I just believe they have better live-action movies. Yeah. Because, let's face it, the DC animated movies and the DC animated universe back from, what, 93 to 2006? I mean, those things rock everyone's world. Because Paul Dini and Bruce Tam were, like, heading those up. You know why people say that, though? Hmm. They say that because the live-action movies are the only thing they really see. I don't see anybody saying... You know, Marvel's comics are really good, or their storylines are really good, or their animated features on G4 are really good. They're only saying they're live-action movies. Right, because that's mainstream, and that's what everyone watches. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing Avengers is going to be amazing, especially with Joss Whedon writing. I mean, you can't really go wrong there. But, yeah. but from a lot of these things I've heard about the next Batman, it could actually beat the Avengers in my book. Yeah. Because it, really, to quote, this is Spinal Tap, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Mm-mm. Um, Chris, well, for those who have, Chris Nolan and David Boyer and all those involved are going to turn this thing up to 11. For those of you who have seen that movie, you'll get that reference. Awesome. It just well, sounds cool. Answer. Yes, Brian Q. Miller, one of the greatest Smallville writers of all time. And youngest, I think. He's a very, he was a very young writer on the series. 
Um, I'm not too. I, I don't know much about his comic book background, so could you fill in? Could you fill the audience and me into his comic book background? Predominantly Batgirl, correct? Correct. I mean, he started off with Teen Titans, and he did that for a while. And after, um, after Smallville, in fact, probably a year or two ago, right around the time Batman supposedly died in the comics, which comic fans and non-comic fans know he did not. He was sent by Darkseid back in time, and he had to fight his way through time to get back to the present. But during that time, Stephanie Brown, who was a former Robin, had become Batgirl, and Brian Q. Miller had written that series from first issue till the last, until it was canceled following the reboot. So, Which I really don't understand, because I like it. I understand it, but I liked the storyline. Mm-hmm. And was this around the time also, right before the Batman Inc. storyline got hit it up? It was around the same time. Which I know you really love. Oh. Yeah, Grant Morrison, the destroyer of worlds. The Scottish destroyer of worlds. Well, that's just racist. <laughs> but not the, racist, sir. Not racist. As I've told you before, Grant Morrison, if he's listening, sir, you have the greatest Scottish accent I've ever heard since Sean Connery. But the reason we chose, and Penny and I went back and forth, ladies and gentlemen of the podcast world, just on what episodes of Brian Q. Miller's we wanted to do, because he's written a lot of episodes. Yeah, season 8 to 10, he's written about three episodes each season. About. Yeah, I mean, he wrote, what, in season 8, he did Committed and Bulletproof, which are the ones we're reviewing. He did Hex. He did season 9's Echo, Warrior, and Sacrifice, along with Justin Hartley on Sacrifice. And season 10, he did Luther and Masquerade. Luther is awesome. um, We should have done Luther. he He did Prophecy, didn't he? No. Oh, he did co-write that with Anne Cobell Saunders. Did he? Yeah. Hmm. It doesn't say that here, so I don't know. Maybe. Um, and in our, in, I, I shouldn't say our, but in my humble opinion, no disrespect to Al, Al and Trey Meyer, he really should have wrote um, part one of Finale. I agree. I like Alan Turi, though. Yeah, I like Alan Turi, but the reason I wanted to do Committed is a couple of reasons. This may be one of the best standalone episodes in the history of this series. Yeah. And it's one of those episodes that's a shipper episode, but it doesn't beat you over the head with the shipper stuff. Which is nice. Yeah. We start off the episode committed, episode of season 8, episode 5, in the, what Tom Willing calls the Talon. The Talon. The Not Talon. the Talon. The Talon. Um, for Jimmy and Chloe's engagement party. Yes. Because they're and getting I married have... at this point. What? Because they're getting married at this point. Yes, they're going to be married, and they're going to live happily ever after. Not really. Sorry. Spoiler. No, not really. 
Um, I don't know why this line is stuck in my head for the, ever since season eight. I just love Aaron Ashmore at the beginning of this thing, like when he cuts the cake. I'm sorry I cut your head off because it's a there's a picture of Chloe and Jimmy on the cake. And he's like, I'm sorry I cut your head off, but I'm just really under a lot of pressure here. <laughs> That's Aaron Ashmore trying to be funny, ladies and gentlemen. But oh, come on, man. He's, I think, he's more of a serious actor to me than he is funny. He, it's it's forced when he tries to be funny. Um, yeah, it is. And really, when he's not trying to be funny, he ends up being more funny. Right. Um, I love, I love Lois drinking all of the Dom Perignon. <laughs> she seems like she's had like 11 glasses of the stuff, and... I remember when I first watched this three years ago. Can't believe it's been three years already. I know. But um, I love Tom Lee's suits, the three-piece suits. Mm-hmm. He's trying for me at first, but if he really fills the suit, no pun intended, out well. No, I agree. And one of Lois's big hiccups in this episode, or um, problems, is she doesn't really buy. Um, Chloe and Jimmy as a couple, which I know a lot of us did, and some of us still do. She gets up there, she gets drunk, and she pretty much makes a fool out of herself. Clark saves her, and does this really touching speech. Yes, he does. And uh, I have to I smile through this entire thing. Yeah. That's true. Also, I must ask, like our friend Derek Russell did, where, where, where the hell did Jimmy and Chloe get all these friends? Yeah, when do they have time to make friends? They don't. Yes. And Chloe, you know, she had like three friends in high school. Why wasn't Pete there? And, and here's the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about. Where is Gabe Sullivan since like season four? That's true, too. That's true, too. I assume that these are daily planet people. I assume that he died. Yeah, or or <laughs> just or just got buried underneath a hundred pounds of or two thousand pounds of crap that he was fertilizing at Lex's plant. That's also a possibility. But you know, Aunt Nell came back for Lana's wedding, so yeah, it's kind of a cop out. Just saying. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. Clark had to give me away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I love the kind of affirmation that, or not even affirmation, the reality of Chloe and Jimmy as a couple. This is the first time that you actually really see them really as a couple, and it doesn't seem forced. Yeah. I um, mean, there are times where it isn't forced. Yeah, but this episode, and it was really well done by Todd and Darren and Brian and Kelly to sell this relationship on us, just because, you know, what happens at the end of the season between these two. Right. And Chloe and Jimmy are outside in the Talon Alley, and they get whacked by the, let's just call him the man in wax. Okay. I can go with that. The jeweler, 
could do. And after the wonderful uh, theme, the music, we're back. me. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, it's like, Clark, what did you do last night? I took Lois home. Yeah. <laughs> Enough said. It would have been a great deleted scene if we had seen Clark in his blue jacket and red shirt just, like, super speed Lois home. And she's like, whoa, how much did I drink last night? That'd be great. She wakes up with a migraine. Yeah. Um, I, I just love the fact how how good Clark is. Anybody else would have taken advantage of Lois, but no, Clark's just got some Alka-Seltzer and just nursing her her back to health. Mm. And I love how Lois is like, please tell me we didn't. He should have been like, oh yeah, we did. It was really nice. He should have totally played with her mind there. That's going to be Ollie soon. That would be Ollie. That would be Ollie. That'd be great, yeah. though. Um, I love the fact that Clark says you, you were singing White Snake the whole night. Would have been great to see that deleted scene as well. That have been like Martha running around singing pop music. Yes. Which, by the way, we're doing this that episode. We're doing that episode. You know that. Yeah, we are. We are. It's coming. Um, it's that. It's that episode actually might be just one entire hour devoted to it. Yes, because there are, they are. I mean that. I mean not to go off on too much of a tangent. That episode is really like the end of what we knew as Smallville and what Smallville is going to become later on. Well, right, because from that point forward, it got really serious, and it got more drama than, you know, teen drama. Because I'm gonna. Because well, Yeah. Um, what I like about this scene with Lois and Clark at the barn is this is the first instance we see of Clark kind of getting over Lana. Mm-hmm. Or moving on. Moving on. And I thought that was really good. Yeah, well, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> I know you don't spend too much time talking about Lana. Well, that's because she had the perfect send-off in Season 7, and they blew it, so... And we'll get to and we'll get to that in like later in this episode because Penny and I are going to talk about what's the one storyline we wish they would have done differently or changed in Smallville and I got two and ironically enough they've all they involved the lane. But Ollie and Tess, what are your thoughts on their their interactions in this episode? Sir? Ollie and Tess are kind of interesting in this episode because you're not exactly sure where it's going. Yeah. The one toxic that there was something there between them. Right. Something big, obviously. But we don't know why they broke up. We know they broke up. And we knew it was bad. We just didn't know how bad and why it was. Mm-hmm. Well, we also oh. learn in Toxic... Oliver and Tessa's true origin and how it really ties in together. Yes. Um, Which contradicts Oliver, the Oliver Queen Chronicles, but whatever. Yeah. Oliver, retcon, Oliver wants yes. to reconnect with Tess in more ways than one. Yes. 
intestine is just really not into it. This is the time, in, especially around all of her, that Tess is the coldest and more sarcastic. Like her daddy and her brother. Well, she was a lot like that to him in Bulletproof, too. Yeah. Or the um, end. I love how, I love in the scene in the Daily Planet where Tess says, you can pick me up at 7 and all he goes, 7.30 it is. <laughs> I love that kind of power play. Back at the town apartment, I love um, Lewis from Darling Chloe. <laughs> Chloe! Chloe. <laughs> the facial expressions on everybody in this episode top notch. Mm. <laughs> there actually is like a Windows Phone, iPhone, Android, smartphone app that prevents drunk dialing. Really? Yeah, there is. Apparently, this app, like, if you turn it on, won't let you dial dial your phone unless you put in, like, a keypad code, just in case you're, it's 3 o'clock in the morning and you're drunk and you're trying to drunk dial someone. That is hilarious. Yeah. I know people who need that app. Yeah, I know people who need that sober too. <laughs> I know people who need to be sober first. Yeah. Um, the scenes with the jeweler. And the jeweler, the jeweler is really creepy. The jeweler's creepy, but he's also very, he's also very sane, which is also very scary. Well, the worst villains, and I've always said this, but the worst villains are always the ones who believe what they're doing is truly right. And that's what makes Lex Luthor so dangerous, and that's what makes this guy dangerous. But this episode in Bulletproof, Brian K. Miller, like Jeff Johns, does a really great job of turning an episode and making it seem like a comic book. These two episodes could be like in one book in action comics to me. Well, right, because he's a comic book writer, too. He knows what he's dealing with. Yeah. And I, and probably my favorite Chloe line in the entire episode is, um, the jeweler makes a line about couples and how hard it is to find them all together to kidnap them. And Chloe just freaking goes, well, I hate to inconvenience you. <laughs> Chloe makes really sarcastic comments season eight onwards to people like that. Especially yeah. when she's in trouble. Like she does to the sod in season ten. Yeah. That's great. I love I love those kind of I love Chloe and Lois being that way it's like I'm tied up for a metal chair and I'm still gonna be sarcastic. Mm hmm I'm still well, gonna get on your nerves. Yeah. Well the jeweler um has both a both Chloe and Jimmy hooked up to metal chairs and a lighter test and a shock and an electric shock treatment. Mm -hmm. And he the reason he's doing this, and we find out, and we find out in the episode that um, he's already killed one of the couples, and the reason he's doing this to couples is he's trying to test their fidelity. Right. And, um, just to backtrack the previous episode to make, to make this make sense, the jeweler asks Jimmy 
have you ever cheated on your fiance? He says no. And in the episode Instinct, which we probably will do on Valentine's Day. Maybe. Or Crimson. Yes. Maybe both. Um, he kissed Maxima, but he really didn't cheat on Chloe because Maxima had like this like pheromone poison ivy power going on. Right, but wasn't that... Oh no, that was before this episode, wasn't it? Yes. It was the one right before it. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay, never mind. And, but Chloe, but Chloe knew that this happened and it wasn't a big deal. Um, I love Clark and Lois, like, being, because at this point they, they're partners, but they're not partners. <laughs> I like them together as partners trying to, like, um, like, trying to break a case. I love it when they go to the one stationery store. And Lois is telling off someone in the in the store, and Clark explains to the audience that she was yelling at a seventy year old man who just got out of the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, and yet Lois still defends herself, which I find very funny. She, I don't know even how you begin to defend yourself from something like. <laughs> But it's mostly. Well, that that would be why. She could steal candy from a baby and make it seem like it's the baby's fault. Well, actually, I'd kind of like to see that now. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't put it past her, though. I wouldn't eat. Uh, Clark is really wanting to do this on her on his own, but Lois is like very adamant about them being like a team. And in, in this, Lois concocts the idea of if we pose as a couple, maybe this kidnapper will, will kidnap us and that will lead us to Chloe and Jimmy. Mm -hmm. So, um, them at the jewelry store is very funny. And then they bump into Oliver. They bump into Oliver, and the back and forth looks between these three characters. Think about how awkward that would have been. Yes, because it, I mean, for for like storyline purposes, we're gonna go through this. Um, Ollie and Lois only broke up like two seasons ago. It's only two seasons ago. Yes, which is maybe like a year and a, a year in um, Smallville time, or a year and a half. Yeah. Um. I find this particularly funny because if people remember back to Oliver Queen's like second appearance in the series, he was the one that noticed something particularly romantic going on between Clark and Lewis to begin with. Him and Jimmy. Uh, no, Clark and Lewis. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, you're right. Sorry about that. No problem. And I always find that funny when you're talking about Lois and Clark. Everybody else notices um, notices that there's something going on with them, but they don't. And Lana doesn't. <laughs> actually, no, 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 no. I think Lana does actually. No. Go back to the um, beginning of season four, sir. Well, that was different. Okay. That was okay. jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Chuck last night too, and he was oh, kind of that? yeah, and he was kind of the same way. I was like, yes, it's Oliver, but he was missing a finger because his brother chopped it off. Oh, oh no, he lost that in the fan too. That's true. Zod chopped it off. No more. Yes. Zod, Zod likes the finger sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> that's, exactly, that's Very welcome. Now, moving um, on. You cut back to the to the torture chamber with the jeweler, and we're really we're really wondering, like, oh, at least I was at this time. What is the jeweler gonna ask Chloe? Yeah, I was kind of wondering that too. I'm like, he's not gonna ask her the same thing, is he? Yeah. Um, but he does. He asks her, "Have you ever cheated on your fiance?" And Chloe says, "No." And come on, Chloe is like Clark in that regard. He doesn't cheat. She doesn't cheat on her boyfriends. No. Her boyfriends try to kill her or leave her. <laughs> they try to kill her, but she doesn't cheat on them. Yes. Because that then, makes it right. But yeah. I respect uh, Brian Q. Miller for asking the, the, the elephant in the room, the $400,000 question that everybody wants to know, are you in love with anyone else? Dun, and dun. she says no. And it's right. Yes. And we see this like big smile on um, Jimmy's face because Jimmy's always know, wanted to know himself. Are you still in love with Clark Kent? Right. He's always been jealous. Too. Yeah. So, the, so, and here's the thing about the jeweler. The jeweler is very much like Two-Face in, in some respects. Because mm -hmm. he, he does have a, he, he's not like the Joker in the sense that he'll just kill just for the sake of killing. He has a moral code that he's standing by. Right. In, in his eyes, um, Chloe and Jimmy pass the fidelity test, and he knocks them out and lets them go. But then he gets Clark and Lois before they realize anything. Yeah. And do we want to mention the, um, let's call it the uh, Dr. Love Shack back at the town that Jimmy set up? It's Dr. Sexy. Yes. With the, with the... Fuzzy handcuffs. I love it when they wake up and Chloe thinks that the jeweler is the one that set all this up. Mm -hmm. And then, like, Jimmy raises his hand to the man and said, "Oh no, that that actually was me." Yeah, that that's gotta be like the creepiest thing I've seen any guy do. Um, I plead the fifth on that one. Well, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, all about, I've done some 
pretty weird, not weird, but over the top things for women. I would never buy fuzzy handcuffs. That's really comforting. Yeah, I've, ne I've never done that. That's good, thank you. Yes. Don't, don't ever. How about that? Can we make that pact right now? That you'll never do that? No, no, we're not making packs, sir, because everything changes. I don't see myself doing that. Oh, alright, wow. Um, That's good, then. I love when the jeweler, like, kidnaps Lois in this episode, and, and when he does this, the first thing she says is, son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love, what about the scene with the sticks and, um, Tess and Oliver? This, oh. Uh, yeah. Mm. Tess is really acting a lot like Lex in that regard. Yeah, and that's where it really threw me off. I don't necessarily like when she acts like Lex at all. Yes. But seeing Cassidy Freeman in a skin-tight workout suit, always a good thing. Well, yeah, that's a plus. Yes. And here's another comic book reference for you. Oliver mentions they have dinner reservations at Hobbs Bay. Oh, yeah. If you don't know what Hobbs Bay is, Hobbs Bay is like kind of like the marina in mm. Metropolis where they have like all of the high-class, like, restaurants in Metropolis from the comics. Yep. I was hoping in one of these episodes in, like, season 9 or 10, we could get a reference to Big Bukowski. Oh, my gosh. How great would that have been? And, How great would that have been to see a big guy with Tom Willis? That would have been awesome. That would have been great in Bulletproof. Actually, yeah, it would have been. It would have been fantastic in Bulletproof. Yeah. That's when it should have happened. Yeah. I don't know what Tess is getting at. I think it's a situation of, am I still attracted to this guy? Do I still hate his guts? We find out that Oliver cheated on Tess, which, come on. I mean, if you know anything about Green Arrow's history, or even the little bit you know about him in small book before this episode, Oliver's one... One downfall is his libido. Mm -hmm. And they um, miss their dinner reservation because they're busy doing other things. Shocker. Um, I mean, yeah, I'd really like to see um, um, Oliver like try to pick up his droid phone and clerk on the other end saying, Oliver, are you swinging under, under the chick again? <laughs> The one thing about I had a system for this. And I know. <laughs> if I fix eight eight nine, that means I'm doing something that I really shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Um. And after after um Clark and Lois get captured, they kidnap her, whose name is Macy, which is kind of weird because it's a guy. But <laughs> and it's also kind of weird that. Because of the Macy's stores. Oh, I wonder if that was like an inside joke. I'm sure it probably was. Yeah, but Clark figures out where Lois is. I love when Clark comes in and he uses his super to blow up in the door. A very cool Superman thing. 
Very cool. Very cool. And the reason Clark gets kidnapped is there's kryptonite. Just everybody in Smallville's history, they have a kryptonite something, and this guy has a kryptonite watch. Yay. Yay. And he gets here with a lich. Yes, that's true. I have to mention this also. This guy has, like, no um, super villain training whatsoever. Because apparently, the reason he knows how to get these people is they all got came to his shop to get wedding rings and or engagement rings. He doesn't change up his voice hardly. No, it's like, how would you not realize who this person is? Yeah, I can understand, like, Chloe and Jimmy not, know, not knowing who this guy was just because of maybe, like, it was like three weeks ago they went to this place. Mm hmm But, like, if I'm, if I'm Louis, who just saw this guy, like, four hours ago, wouldn't know to do who this guy is? Mm hmm But, and I said this on the Starfield Top of the website, and some of my friends, like, kind of laughed at me for this. Not you, but I know some people did. I think this is one of Eric Gerdemans' best performances. When, um... It's very heartbreaking. The jeweler, yeah. The jeweler shocks Clark. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time we've really seen Lois... Hair. Lois, the eight-year-old girl, stripping away all that bravado. Mm -hmm. I love Lewis' favorite music throughout this whole episode, but the one, the one, the one music notes he strikes when the jeweler says, do you love him? And Erica Durant takes a pause, breaks, almost breaks down and just says yes. Yep. And there you have it. Then two seasons later, they become engaged. Then seven years after that, they become married. Yep. Officially. And that's the funny thing about the, the, you know, Clark braces for it. He's like, oh no. Clark braces for the electricity. Mm-hmm. And I love it when he, nothing happens and he looks at Lois and Lois looks away. Yeah. Because... And we see this later on. She like strips off some of that um, um, like guardedness. Lois doesn't really like to be have a guard down. No, no, she doesn't. And I, I love when Clark headbutts the jeweler. Yep, it's pretty sweet. Clark is awesome. Clark's a good fighter. Yes. Especially in season nine, but. Yeah. So, I mean, that's basically the entire episode in a nutshell. Um, actually, there's a couple other things I wanted to touch on. I love how Tess blows off Ollie. Mm hmm. She does it so coldly. It reminds me of Lionel. Yeah. Well, yes. he is her father's daughter. Yes. I love, and this is something for the comics people. Um, first of all, I before I get to that though, I love Chloe and Lois looking on her Dell laptop 
Statistically speaking, it's still the safest way to travel. And you might disagree with me, sir, but I think this is the moment where Clark starts to, to have feelings for Lois. I still say before. Okay. Where would you say, actually? I'd say probably... After Lana left in season seven. Yeah. But that was just like a fleeting moment kind of thing. This to me was like, maybe there's something more here. Yeah. And I think Lois has that feeling too. Also, I love the season eight. Um, Lois's like darker hair. Mm hmm. He is really turning into the John Byrne version of Lois. Which I think is my favorite version of Lois. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know. I'm not sure about my favorite version of Lois. Oh, well, Lois is such a great character. I don't think you can do her badly. Well, you can. I yes, yes, yes. I stand corrected. And for me being a wheelchair, that's a big deal for me. Mm -hmm. The Silver Age version of Lois I didn't like. The Happy Homemaker. Ugh, no. Yeah. Doesn't work. Um. For my partner's benefit, let's move on to Bulletproof. Yes. And Bulletproof, basically the synopsis for Bulletproof is Clark discovers March Manhunter, a.k.a. John Jones, was shot while working as a police officer, or really a detective. So Clark then goes undercover as a cop to find the culprits. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice... Not really, though. Meanwhile, at the ISIS Foundation, Lana confronts Tess and tells her that Lex isn't the man she thinks she is. 
Lana's shocking revelation causes Tess to reevaluate her position as head of Luther Corp. I'm just hearing a bong go through my brain while we're doing like a quick cut. Anyway, so. I have to, I have to say for, for the henchman in this episode, the policeman henchman, I've seen these guys in like, like two other things. I've seen these guys in Supernatural. Mm -hmm. I've seen these guys in Human Target. Actually, with um, Moon Bloodgood, I think that's her name. Yeah. The girl from Terranova. Uh, no, not Terranova. Falling Skies is Moon Bloodgood. Oh yeah, Falling Skies. Yeah. Um, they pretty much play the exact same thing in both of those shows. <laughs> Which I find yeah. really. Especially with the one guy Simmons, the sniper that shoots John Jones. Oh, I hate that guy. Plays like the exact same thing in both of those, in all three of those shows. Really? Really? That's yeah. terrible. That's yeah, that is terrible. Notable things for this episode: this is the first appearance of Al Alessandro Giuliani playing um. Dr. Emil Hamilton, that is and it is also the first and unfortunately only appearance of Dan Turpin, who is a big comic book character. Give you a little background about him. He was partners with Maggie Sawyer, who actually appeared in the first uh, three, three or four seasons of Smallville. She was a cop in Metropolis. She was like back in season seven. Right. And, um, yeah. yeah, in the comics, they're partners. And if you are familiar with the DC Animated Universe and Superman the Animated Series, Dan Turpin actually plays a big role in helping Superman in that series and is actually killed by Darkseid right in front of everybody, and that's kind of when Superman loses it at that point. Yeah, that's the ending of, like, I think that's, like, if, if not the season, season finale, I think that's the That's the series finale. Oh, of Superman the Animated Series. Yeah, it is. Another thing about the guy who plays Dan Turpin, um, this guy actually was in um, the season one episode of the season one episode of Smallville Hothead. Mm -hmm. He was one of the guys that um, Coach Arnold was threatening, and he was one of the Campbell family members in season six of Supernatural. Yes, that's where I saw him before. Yes. I always think it's kind of a shame that we never got to see Maggie Sawyer and um, Dan Turpin meet. Yeah, I, I'm kind of upset about that. It would have been really cool to see in finale. Or in season 10, just to run by um, Darkseid or Godfrey. Mm -hmm. But when um, Clark goes undercover as a cop, he goes undercover as Joe Fordman from Coast City, a transfer, and this is actually a reference to two things. Joe Fordman is a reference to, um, well, Joe is a reference, obviously, to Jor-El's name on Earth during Relic, uh, 1961 Relic, yeah, which we covered, and Fordman is obviously a reference to the Fordman family, or more specifically, Whitney Fordman from the first season of Smallville, so. Yes. Which, Which I thought was a nice thing. Yeah. I thought that was a nice thing for Clark to do. Um, well, he ended up... He ended oh, up... Sorry. No, no problem. But he ended up um, 
leaving Whitney on good terms. Yes. So I think that helped. Um, yeah. Um, Coast City, is that a reference? Isn't that um, Aquaman's main city? That is Green and Lantern's Aquaman. home city. Hal Jordan. Which we went to. Hal Jordan. Okay. No, Aquaman okay. is um, mainly around like the Bermuda Triangle, Florida area. If you've watched the Aquaman yeah. pilot. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. I love um, Joe and in the car. Mm-hmm. Just talking about things. I love that, I, I love that for the continuity of the comics, this is the time period where law enforcement really doesn't trust the JRA. Right. And then they're like that again in um, season 10. I like the term the caves they use. Yeah, that's a little bit of a reference to the Incredibles almost. Yeah. Um, and I love the comics book continuity. I think Dan Turpin in the comics, Dan Turpin also, I think he was created by the great late state or um, Jack Kirby. I believe so, because in Final Crisis, which was written by Grant Morrison, which is a comic that is very confusing and I personally hate, Dan Turpin well, becomes the well, yeah. Dan Turpin becomes the vessel for Darkseid. Okay. Jack Kirby mentioned before the show there would not be a comic book industry without him. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um. I. Didn't you love the Superman the movie reference with Clark catching the foot? Yes. And it looks like the same alley, too, from the movie where the mugger grabs Lois, doesn't it? It does look like it, yes. So good. What about the chemistry between Miss Cassidy Freeman and Miss Kristen Kirk in this episode, Penny? I'll admit, this is probably the only episode of season 8 I actually liked Lana in. I, I like um, the both of this episode because they're really trying to play the Luther role mm -hmm. and they're trying to see which one can one up the other one in the scene of the library and in the ISIS Foundation. Right. Once again, it's not a bad thing to see um, Cassidy Creek in a skin type jumpsuit. Um, no, that's never a bad thing. Never a bad sponsor. Never. I love the fight scene between those two. Yep. And it really was an actual fight scene, like, you know, not just this, like, like Chloe and Lana Shower fight. This was actually a fight. Mm -hmm. Hey, Will, you're breaking up a little bit, man. Yeah. Um, I love the barbecue scene. Yeah. I love that scene. I, I actually like the scene with, you know, Dan and Susie. Yeah, I, lo I, lo I love that scene. I love when Clark is talking to her, his wife, too. Yeah. Because you kind of, Clark kind of thinks in the back of his mind, could this have been bothering me if things have worked out a little bit differently? Yeah. Yep. 
That would been cool. Um, I love... Yeah. Maybe just for an emotional kind of thing. I love when Danny's being called in to the um, storage area or um, warehouse. He's beating up with the mobster, and the mobster is like very sympathetic, very regretful. Yeah. Because what these cops are doing, they're taking the law into their own hands, which cops, especially in where Penny and Hyder has, cops never do. Mm. Um, they're taking their law into their own hands. Oliver and Clark in this episode I really like. Yes. Because how ironic is the, the, the talk in the kitchen at the Kent Farm? Yeah. That talk is great. Killing. Well, because two episodes later, Oliver kills Lex. Yes. So. And and Oliver has to eat his own words pretty much. Yeah. I love um Another one I love the whole premise of this episode just being about what is a hero and what really is is trust. Yeah. Well, I felt the end of this episode really helped the Justice League as a whole. Yeah. Because Clark and Oliver and John Jones, they all decide that it's better that they all watch each other's backs. Then, then just go their separate ways, which also is kind of ironic for what happens at the end of the season. Well, right, and at the beginning of the season with Odyssey. Yeah. Um... We find out, and I'm assuming that after Tessa's accident, you okay there, man? Yeah, you broke up a little bit. I'll say this one more time. Yeah. We find out after Tessa's accident that, um, Mexican planet, uh, We'll just call it a Skype cam. Yeah, because he's and watching her from his creepy semi-truck. And Tessa's eye. So he can hear and see everything Tess does. And I love the scene in the library, the library, when Tess is in tears, looking directly in the mirror at Lex, saying... Everything I am was because of you, and everything, and everything I'm gonna do now is because of you. I loved you, Sophie. Because, because of that, no, because of that, I always come to the conclusion, and no matter how wrong I think it is, I always come to the conclusion that she loved Tess, or loved Lex more than just as a brother. Well, well yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, of, thinking of it more as the shy girl and the jock in high school kind of thing. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, I understand. Where, where the jock kind of looks at this girl, she's cute, but I'm, ne I'm never going to really go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how um, Tess declared 
declared Lex dead? <laughs> yeah. That's like a shot in the face. Yeah. We have we have to talk about the the final scene between Dan and Clark. Clark asks Dan why he still does this, and Dan just replies, "Because I have I the people that depend on me, and I have a family and a, a woman that loves me that depend on me." Mm-hmm. And he asks Clark, "Is there someone in his life that that's like that?" And then we get to Lana and Clark. Ugh. Which, you know, doesn't work for me, but... No, Dan also says, too... What is it he says? He says, I would feel guilty if I didn't. Yeah. Which... Which is a real... Is really... Well, Superman would be later. I mean, I know you don't like Lana. I know you don't like that whole thing, sir. Mm-mm. But... I have to say, it was kind of nice after all this craziness that they went through to see Lana making a copy in the talent. I did like that. And then they kissed, and I'm like, that's no way to end an episode, Brian Q. Miller. <laughs> that doesn't work. But what does work with that, I love, I love when Clark says, if I swim my eyes... It's like we're 14 again. Yeah. And I do like when they kiss in afterwards. Well, first off, I like the Louis favorite music that they used. I loved his music cue when he did that, bringing kind of like the relic theme that they used for Clark and Lana. But I also love the look on both of their faces after they kiss. It's like, now what? Mm-hmm. Now we go back to my room upstairs and we talk, we quote, talk this out. Right. Yes, talk. Talk at 2 o'clock in the morning and we just kissed, yes. Yeah, that's what you But in all say. seriousness, they don't know where this is going to go. No, they don't. And they were more sure of their se- themselves in Season 7 than they were in this season. Well, I mean... This, this thing, and I always try to bring this back to reality, it's, it's not too dissimilar to what we do, what people do in their real lives after they have an intense relationship and break up. Yeah, yeah. Do we, do we have feelings for I have. I still have feelings for this person, but can we make it work? I mean, we tried that. I mean, and honestly, for all the crap people give season seven, Lana and Clark did try. It's true. For the first, I mean, for all of Alan Miles' like bad, bad writing or bad planning in terms of that relationship, they really did try in season six. Yeah. And in season eight, they realized why it didn't work. Yeah. But to close this episode out, and I know we're gonna run a little long, so bear with me, Penny. I and. I, I want the listeners to write this in for themselves. I'm going to ask you first, and then I'm going to give you mine. And for the listeners, please email the chief across the airwaves email, because I want to hear your your guys' responses to you, and please comment on the website. 
what two things in in Smallville history, storyline wise, would you change and why? Are you asking me first? Yes, I'm asking you first. Thank you and for putting me on the spot. If you need a few, <laughs> if you need a few minutes, I'll give you a few minutes. Do you want me to do you want me to go first? Yeah, give you um give yours first. Because I have a pretty good idea of what I'm gonna, I would change, but I'll just think it over for a minute. So you give yours. Okay. Then shockingly, this has to do with Lana Lang. I know shocking. Shocking. Yes. First of all, if you're gonna have Lana leave, let her leave and stay gone. And I'm referring this to, and this is kind of like going into. It's kind of similar my two examples, but having Alana leave in season three, at the end of season three, and have the awkwardness that you have between Clark and Lana in season four, and this is what I'm getting to, bring Alicia back. Giving Clark the closest thing, and I will say this, and I'm not disvaluing Lana, the closest thing to a true love that he's going to have until he, you know, gets into a relationship with Lois and they kill her off after two episodes. Yeah. I would have much rather had Lana leave in season three and stay gone. Alicia come back when she comes back in season four, ride that whole thing out. Have Lex call her like a freak in like season five. And she's like, you remember her bracelet that she had? Yeah. She's messing with that in the car trying to get away from Lex. And boom, the bus hits Alicia. Oh. That would be really good. Now, I don't, I, I don't think you can get away with getting rid of Lana that early. I, yes, I know, I know. I like the concept a lot, and I think if that's how Alicia went, I think it would have been a lot better direction for the series. And maybe bring Lana back in season five. Or, and this actually leads into my other thing, and you touched on this too. That's my first one, and I'm sticking with that one, because with Alicia, I always thought, hey, this could work. Mm-hmm. Because Lana, I saw, we all saw from, like, hell, season one, even if you didn't know the comic books, ladies and gentlemen, you knew that this wasn't going to work out. Well, see, from the pilot on, when I first saw the pilot, and I, since I already had seen season six and seven and eight, I was like, I know how this is going to end, but I really don't want it to end that way. And maybe it was kind of a detriment to, to, to us that had seen the later season, or hell, even knew the comic book history. Because if you know anything about Superman, you know Lois is his true love and Lana's the first love he had. Right. So maybe that handicapped us in a way. Probably. But um, I would have just loved because. In Reckoning, we will get to Reckoning in, in an episode, in a future episode. We have to. The reason I think 
The thing with Alicia would have worked better. Okay, we know that they're we know that they're not gonna work out. But for this one moment, for or at least a couple years, he's gonna have you know some semblance of a happy romantic life. And it's his best friend. It is his best friend, quote unquote, that causes that causes his unhappiness, let's say. Yeah. And it would really springboard the Lex Clark rivalry. But the, the other thing I would change to move this along, and I'll, and I'll piggyback on something you said. In the Arctic, mm. the world needs you more, Clark. Click, done, Lana, gone. Bring her back in 200. WTF. Yeah. Why didn't that happen? Because they screwed up. Yes. And how great would it have been? Okay, let's just say Lana, no Kryptonian powers. That's gone. How would, how great would that have been to see Clark just go up to her and say, the power suit's gone. Why didn't you tell me? Well, if she would have left in season seven, she wouldn't even have the power suit to begin with at that point. Exactly. Great, great point with that. Thank you, sir. No power suit. And just to see her back at the reunion. And then have her and Lois have a scene. Exactly. Well, even a scene. Okay, I understand with Allison Mack, there was money things, and there was like scheduling things. And she couldn't do it? Fine. Fine. But how great would it have been while Clark is on his vision quest or time quest with Brainiac 5? How awesome would it have been to see the awkwardness of I know Clark's secret, but does Lana know? I know Clark's secret, but does Lois know? Mm. And they're dating now, and I don't know how Clark and Lana broke up. Yeah. Oh, that dialogue right so Yeah, and this really moves in well to mine because we do have to wrap this up, so I'll say mine pretty quick. My first one, obviously, is what you just said. And we've talked about this, but she had the perfect send-off in Season 7. I would have left it alone until, like you said, 200. Yes. And then I would have done what we just talked about. And then my second one... It's really simple, and this is just me being a nitpicky comic fan. Okay. But it's also me not criticizing, but more not understanding, I guess. I would have done the Dark Side story a lot differently. I, okay, how would you do it? I would have made it more full season. I wouldn't have necessarily shown Dark Side. I would have done it. A lot like Superman the Animated Series or Justice League the Animated Series would. I would okay. send people in, talk about Darkseid, do all this stuff, and then mid-season finale, Clark and Darkseid have a brawl. And Darkseid is in physical form, he's an actual alien being, he's not a cloud. I would have done that. And then Darkseid beat Clark and send him maybe to the Phantom Zone and then the Justice League get him out in the season or mid-season premiere. 
So it's kind of like supernatural. Dark side possesses somebody. Well, I don't even want him possessing anyone. I want him to be physical form. I just want those crows to show up randomly throughout the, se the season. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, 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 no. Just bear with me. Just You don't explain what those are. You don't explain what the smoke is. You just see it. Yeah, that would have been cool, too. Yeah. To make it more, because they said they wanted to make Dark Side kind of like like this dark cloud, no pun intended, this, like, eerie presence. But where is this eerie presence other than the Omega symbols? Right. Which kind of don't make sense either. Well, and then what I would have done for the finale is kind of done a Final Crisis sort of storyline where he uses okay. the Omegas on everyone to control them. And Superman has to inspire them out of his control. And then he battles Darkseid, you know, Justice League Unlimited style. Or, or Superman the Enemy soon style. Well, you know, Justice League Unlimited has that awesome scene where he punches him through all the buildings. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Which, what I would have done. I'd love to see live action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, that's what I would have done. So. Well, I think if they would have saved up enough budget, and I think they did... I just don't think they necessarily had enough time to come up with ideas. But that's and, what I would have done. And to Brian and Kelly's credit, I don't blame them for doing it, though, because I do have the same kind of grades my partner does about that. But again, for, you have to remember, and for those of you who have seen season 10 will know, Brian and Kelly had to tie up a lot of loose Oh, absolutely. And I'm not trying to bash them at all. You know that. No, 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 no you're not. You know that. And our listeners know that because they know I love season 10 and I love Brian and Kelly a lot more than Alan Miles, mind you. So, yes. I agree with you on that. I'm not bashing at all. I'm just saying, you asked two things I would change, those are it. That's it. Yeah. And, and the reason why I, I harp on Alicia is I love Sarah Sigmund Carter. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. You can watch Falling Skies now. Yeah. We have some people to thank for our gum, don't we, sir? Yes, we do, because we get paid weekly in gum. Yeah, so we have to thank Across the Airwaves hosts, Dan Schmidt and Nico Reifstek. And Dan, as you all should know, is the creator of Across the Airwaves, so without him, none of this would be possible. And Nico is not only the co-host, but he ran the blog for a little while, and he does his own YouTube show on our YouTube page now, probably about a few times a week, so that's pretty cool. Check that out, guys. And we also have to thank Brian Q. Miller. And, yes. I mean, I've talked to him over Twitter maybe once or twice. I doubt he'd remember, but... Lucky you. Thank you, BQM. Yeah, thank you so much for your great Smallville episodes and even your great comics, Teen Titans and Batgirl, for the win. Yes, and DC needs to let you run the helm of Justice League, and I'd like to see you actually write Batman. I'd like to see him write Batman, too. I'd love to see him do Superman. Yes. Because I think he could turn that comic around. I don't like where it's headed right now. And... Really, I would have loved to have seen, and again, not to like overshoot this, I'd love to have seen him write part one. Because his just overall Superman knowledge 
You can see it in season nine and especially in season ten. Well, he should have just wrote it with Alan Turing. Yes. So, yeah. But that is all the time we have for today. So Follow us on Facebook. Yes. Facebook. Across the Airwaves on Facebook. Yep. And on Twitter, it's at Across Airwaves. That's the official Across the Airwaves Twitter. My personal Twitter is at MJPetty7. And Woo's is... I am WSK9002. What is the email, sir? The email for Crust Airways is crustairways at gmail.com. And you can also visit our YouTube channel, which I actually run. So, there you go. And soon I will be doing a Jim Winchester impersonation of Eye of the Tiger. Well, you should. Yeah. Oh. That'd be great. Next week... We are about to kneel before Zod. Yes. We will You're kneel doing... before Zod. We are doing the episodes Savior, Salvation, and Dominion. Yes. So be prepared so kneel to before kneel before Todd. Todd. Well, uh, the, the, Todd? Oh, Zod. Todd. Wait. I'm confused. <laughs> anyway. It's, and we will cover the... Um, workout aerobics with Zod. I think we will mention the robot chicken sketch. One before Zod. Two before Zod. Two before three Zod. before Zod. Four before Chris. Zod. Five before Zod. Anyway, so for our Cross Airwaves host, Dan Schmidt and Nico Reifstek, I'm your host, Michael J. Petty. And I am Louis Kim. And until next time, one by Zod, two by Zod. Three before that. Four before that. Five before that. Six before that. Seven before that. Leave before that. Now. Believing for so.